Well, in case you hadn't noticed, we have a, a royal coronation coming up in the next week or two, and Elijah and I were chatting about it the other day, and all he cares about is getting a day off school, really. He doesn't really care much else about it, but it's kind of a big deal because we haven't had one in 70 years, and uh, it's a big event. It's a big event, and there's a lot... Of, you know, it, it feels like at the minute the royal family, over the last few years, there's been a lot more attention drawn to them for various reasons, some of them not so great, but there's all this talk about who's been invited and who's not been invited and who's been invited but doesn't want to go and uh, all of this going on and, and there's all this protocol and there's all these rules and there's, I was looking up what happens on the day and it's a very religious event and I use that term religious in inverted commas. Uh, it takes place in Westminster Abbey. The Archbishop of Canterbury gets holy oil that's come from Jerusalem which is animal cruelty free this year for the first time uh, which is really important and 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 he anoints the the the, the king um, with God's blessing and God's favor, and they pray over him, and he promises to defend the church. He's also kind of wanting to bring other religions into pray this year, which isn't so great. Um, I'm not sure how that's going to work, but but it's this really significant event, and the crown, which is 2.27 kilos. Now that's a, a lot is put on his head and people shout, long live the king. I kind of like that, that wee bit there. I mean, I think I wouldn't like to wear the crown around too much, you know. I mean, maybe dare to. Um, but, but uh, you know, there's just this big pomp and this ceremony. And, and, and the royals have protocol, don't they? They have rules and, and, and practices and principles that you have to follow. You know, we're, we love the royals because they're like us in one way and that they're kind of human. But... But they're so different, it's almost like they live in a whole world apart. And I was looking at certain things that royals have to do, that royal protocol. There's rules that they have to abide by. Like, um, no matter what gift they are given, they have to express appreciation. Like, that would make me want to push that a little bit, just to see their faces. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, the, 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 the Prince Philip, you may have noticed this, Prince Philip always had to walk a few steps behind the Queen. Some of you husbands are like, I'm still like that. Uh, <laughs> tiaras are only to be married, worn by married women, and usually after 6 p.m., except on their wedding day. They're uh, not allowed to give autographs and selfies, apparently. Uh, royal women cannot cross their legs at the knee. Jenny, right now, you are not looking royal. Um, or nor are you, actually, my wife. Um, that's a big no. You keep your legs together like this or you cross them at the ankles. Anything else is immodest. And they have to dress modestly. When they travel outside the UK, they have to bring a black outfit with them just in case there's a sudden death somewhere and they have to wear mourning clothes. Uh, speaking of travel... Two heirs to the throne cannot travel at the same time. So when Prince George turns 12, he will have to fly separately from his dad, Prince William, in case the plane crashes and they're both killed. Um, in any gathering when the king stands, so must you, and you don't sit down until they sit down. In fact, in any meal where there's a king or queen there, as soon as they stop eating, everyone else has to put down their fork. Now that... I. What if they're not hungry? And what if you're, what if you're Hank Marvin? Do you know what I mean? What if you're starving and they like take a little nibble and, they, and then everybody else? Like, I would be throwing the food into me. I, would, I mean, I am dicing as it is, but I would be throwing that food into me just on the off chance that Charles had a KFC on the way over to the palace. Um, 
It all sounds a bit ridiculous, but it's how things are done in the royal family. It's kind of what makes them them. It's what makes them different. Can you imagine if they didn't have protocol? If they just became like us, peasants, paupers, whatever. You know, if they became casual and relaxed, Charles kind of shows up late Saturday week for the, the coronation wearing jeans and a, a t-shirt and a pair of trainers and he, he walks in there and he high-fives the Archbishop of Canterbury and, you know, it's like yo, yo, yo and, uh, you know, and, 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 and there are party poppers in the room and, and he starts playing frisbee with a crown afterwards and everybody's coming up and, you know, digging him on the arm and going, well done, Charlesy, and making fun of his ears and the crown and how that whole thing's going to work. And, and you know, and, 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 you know, it wouldn't happen because royalty carries themselves a certain way. Royalty carries themselves a certain way. Because they're always aware that they're not just representing themselves. They're representing something so much bigger and so much greater. They're representing a kingdom and a country and a people. And if you're a Christian here this morning, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's a personal thing to you. You have been born again, and it's between you and God, but it is so much bigger than that. You've become part of the family of God, but the Bible also says that you have become part of a kingdom. A kingdom with a king. You've become part of the kingdom of God. It's the whole way through the scripture we see this theme of the kingdom of God. That when you're a believer, when you're a Christian, you have been transferred, it says in Colossians, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's son. You have transferred kingdoms. In fact, in 1 Peter it says this, 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. You are a royal priesthood. Every Christian, not just the people at the front, not just the ordained, not just the people in ecclesiastical positions, every believer the Bible, that's why I struggle, if I'm being really honest, with I'm the only one who can do communion here. I think that's a farce that should have been dealt with at the Reformation. It was a leave-over from Catholicism that the, the, the Reformers should have dealt with. Because you are a priest. You have just as much right and access to God as I have. You are a holy nation. You might think, well, I'm not very holy. I want to tell you because of the righteousness of Christ, you are holy. You are royal. Why? Because your father is the king. In fact, he's not just a king. He is the king of all kings. And if you're a son or daughter of the king, that makes you royalty. And so we carry ourselves differently than the world around us. We have protocol. We have principles. And we have practices as members of the royal kingdom of God that to the world around us look crazy, look weird, look antiquated, look outdated, and look ridiculous. But to the kingdom of God, they are central and they are core. And they're how we are meant to live. What are some of these royal protocols and principles? They're upside down to the world. In a world that says worship self and worship stuff, the principle of the kingdom is you worship God above all things. In a world that says get revenge, 
We're to love our enemies and we're to forgive others. In a world that's marked by materialism and if you can't see it, it doesn't exist, we live by faith and not by sight. In a world of greed and selfishness, we give generously. In a world where people take things for granted and don't show gratitude, we are a people of gratitude and thankfulness for everything God has given us. In a world of sin and sex and sensuality, we walk in holiness and godliness. In a world where there's lies and media manipulation and and fake news, we are a people of truth and righteousness. And in a world where there's dishonor and negativity and criticism, we live lives that honor God and we honor other people. And that last one is what I want to think about briefly today. The principle of honor. It's a word that's used many times, 200 times in the Bible. Honor. It's a word that's not really popular today. It's missing from the world and sadly it's actually missing from from the church. You know, our, our son Elijah, who's 10, he, he keeps us informed with what the kids are using, like what language the kids that the kids are using today, at least some of it anyway, that's PG. Um, like, like when we were away there and he had a good breakfast, the breakfast was bussin. Bussin. Have anybody heard that? No? Yeah? You're down with the kids, Jamie. Yo, yo, yo. Um, bussin, that was bussin there. That YouTube video was bussing. What all, eh, what's, a, what's the other words he started using? Um, let me see. Drip. They're dripping. That means you're wearing nice clothes. You're dripping. <laughs> Especially if it's designer labels like Adidas. <laughs> Nike. You're dripping. You know? He did a non-uniform day and Elijah's like, I'm going in the drip. I'm like, what? Don't be, nobody needs to see your drip. You know what I mean? Get your drip away. No, Dad, Link, I've got my Jordans on. I don't care what you've got on. Stop the dripping. All right, here's the one that he came out with a while ago. Mummy said something to him and he went, Mom, I am shook. Has anybody else heard that? Shook. Shook it's meant to be, obviously, but he had been listening to some YouTuber from Derry, so it came out as shook. (laughs) I am shook. I am shook. I am shocked. I cannot believe you said that. I am shocked. If you want to be down with the kids, feel free to use some of these today. That's what Gen Z are using, all these trendy words that they've got. And that's fine. It makes me feel old, but that's fine. But then there's older words that they don't use. And one of those older words is honor. Honor. And yet there's something about honor that we're drawn to. When you look at the movies that we that, 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 that when Oscars and that, that, that are blockbusters, they're very often there's this honor central to them. There's a hero. There's someone who overcomes the odds. There's someone who treats somebody who's not worthy of honor with honor. There, there, there's, there's a hero. There's someone who shows great bravery and courage in the face of adversity. You know, brave heart. And, and, and these war movies and, and Die Hard and Die Hard with a Vengeance and, and It's a Good Day to Die Hard and all of the, you know, all the Die Hard movies. But there's honour at the core. There's something within us that instinctively loves honour and yet our culture today is taught to dishonour. If you listen to the popular music, if you watch TV, there's almost, it's, it's cool to dishonour. To diss on people, to diss on your parents, to diss on authority, to, to put people down. We live in a world where there's so much, and part, partly rightly so, because 
uh, those in authority have let us down so often. But it's you know we don't trust anyone, and so we dishonor people. Um, and we 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 watch TV and we watch reality TV and how people speak to each other. We listen to marriages and couples and how they speak to each other. We watch politicians and how they speak, and it's just dishonor. And so we're surrounded in like a goldfish bowl, and the water is full of dishonor. And as a people of God, as a royal people, as a holy nation, as a people called by God, we are called to live lives of honor. Honor, first of all, towards God. Because that's where all honor begins. It begins with God. And then honor in how we relate to one another. Honor is at the heart of the kingdom of God. Honor is the culture of God's kingdom. When we pray, God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done, what we are saying is, let there be honor here. Because that is part of the culture of the kingdom. It is central to the heart of God. At the heart of how we relate to God and other people should be honor. Honor will affect your marriage. It will affect your job. It will affect your church. It will affect your friendships and your relationships. It will affect your finances, I would say. In fact, God's blessing follows honor. What's the first commandment with a promise? And we'll get to that a little bit later. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life. Blessing follows honor. And yet in our culture, honor is not something that is practiced. But God is restoring it to his church. God wants you and me to be a people who walk in honor. What does that mean? What is honor? It runs through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The verses I read earlier in Revelation, from chapter 4 and 5, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength. Honor runs through the entire Bible. 220 times we read the word honor. Russell Evans, who's a a, a preacher, makes this statement. It's a pretty bold statement. He says, all through the Bible, the value of honor is the essence of the kingdom of God. In fact, I believe that honor is the foundational truth of the kingdom. Everything revolves around this topic of honor. Everything happens because of honor. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is kabod or kavod. In the New Testament, it's tameo. And it means the same thing in both. It means heavy or weighty. Now, that doesn't mean you can honor someone by saying they're heavy, okay? <laughs> Big girl or fat boy is not an honoring statement for anybody. It is dishonoring. But it actually comes from back in the, the time of the, the Old Testament where, where they used shekels, they used coins to buy things. And the heavier the coin, the more value it had. And so it literally means that that, that when you honor someone, you're treating them with greater value. You're treating them with esteem. You're seeing how, how worthy they are. You're putting value on something. You're putting weight on them and the weight that they carry in your life. Honor is about valuing. It's about esteem. When we worship God, we are giving him ultimate honor, ultimate value ultimate esteem. We are saying, God, there is a weightiness about you that is not common. There is something about you that is not normal or ordinary. Lord, we are worshiping you because you are glorious. You are not ordinary. And so we worship you. We give you honor. 
And the opposite of honor is dishonor. The word is atoma, and it means not to show respect. It means to treat as common, to treat as ordinary, to treat with disrespect, to treat as menial. I want to look at a few passages in Matthew 13, just a few verses for a moment as we think about honor. And there are verses that you might not naturally associate with, with honor, the first one especially. But Jesus teaches a short parable. He says this in verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had. And he bought that field. And my first point is this, that we all have a field and we all have a treasure. You and I have a field and we have a treasure. Jesus talks about a man who, 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 who he talks about treasure in a field. And every single person here, you have a field. You might think, I don't own a field. I don't live on a farm, but you have a field. You have a field and there is treasure hidden within it. The field is the mucky, messy part of your life. The field is the surface part. The field is the bit that, that isn't how you would want it to be. It's a bit overgrown. It's a bit mucky. It's a bit messy. It's a bit filthy at times. It's imperfect in so many ways. It's the places in your life that you wish were different. It's the places where you struggle. It's the places that are obvious to you and sometimes to other people where you have flaws and failures and weaknesses. It's the things that annoy you about yourself. It's the things that annoy you about other people. It's the things that are less than perfect. There's a field in all of us. And it's the most visible bit that we see in other people and often in ourselves. I am much more aware of the mess and the muck in my life than anybody else's. And hopefully so are you. It's the bit that I often see much more than anything else. I am so aware of my inadequacies and my deficiencies. And sometimes I get so focused on the field that I almost give up. Because I think there is nothing good there. It's the most visible bit. And what happens is that we get so focused on the field that we miss the treasure. We miss the treasure. We never allow ourselves to get close enough to someone to get beyond the surface to see the treasure that God has hidden inside of them. When I was away last week I was out walking one morning and I came across this guy uh, on the beach and actually he caught me taking a photo of him it was all a wee bit awkward I was pretending I was just doing a panoramic shot and then stopping at him but then I, I looked around and he went yes and I went oh it's okay and walked off uh, but he, he was he was what they call a detectorist and uh, he's obviously searching for things that people have lost. And I, I don't know about you, when I see people like that, I think, what a waste of time. <laughs> like, seriously, like, what's the chances? You know, he may find 50 cents or something or a few euro or whatever, but, like, it feels like a lot of work for, you know, uh, he's probably out there every day. And, and then I, every now and again, then I read a story like the one I read in the Telegraph recently about these guys in England who were, they were meant to go on a fishing trip, they decided not to, and so they went to a field where they'd actually visited before and they hadn't found anything. But they, they detectorists, there's a certain type, um, detectorists, and they, and they got their little metal detector out and they found uh, gold they, in Staffordshire. It, they found Iron Age gold, the earliest ever discovered in Britain, worth 3.2 million pounds. 
So I went down to Argos, and I am going to be, if you see me around the lakes or outside the church, I could be a detectorist. Uh, have you a picture of these guys? Look, I mean, they look like detectorists. Let's be honest, don't they? I'm honoring them, but they're detectorists. Um, you know, but, but Jesus says this is how the kingdom works. He says the kingdom is like a treasure hidden, hidden. That key word is hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Like those two guys that were in the newspaper, it was just a field. To everyone else who passed by, it just looked like grass and muck. They'd searched it before and they'd found nothing. But they went back to take a closer look. You see, with any field, the casual passerby will never discover the treasure. Because you have to get up close sometimes to people to discover the treasure in the field of their life. It's not obvious, it's beneath the surface. And the reality is this, that unless you learn to accept the field with all its flaws, you will never access the treasure. You need to get past the dirt to discover the diamonds, past the grime to discover the gold, and through the mess to discover the miracle. And there's treasure in every person in this room and there's treasure God has deposited in everyone you meet. But very often we stay on a surface level and we see the muck and the dirt and we never get to access the treasure that God has put inside them. It's hidden and only those who get up close have access to it. We have six couples getting married in this church this year. Isn't that incredible? Between June and December, we have six couples getting... I love that. We had a baby boom there. We've got a wedding boom. And I'm assuming we'll have another baby boom um, after that. Uh, just uh, a prophetic word there. Um, but, uh, you know, when you marry someone, you marry the treasure, but you also marry the field. <laughs> On your wedding day, you look at them like they're just treasure. <laughs> Three years later, you just see a big field sometimes, don't you? Let's just be honest here. Not me, but other, all the rest of you. All the rest of you were less than perfect spouses. But it's true, isn't it? On your, especially in the early dates, you show the, tre- you, you show the treasure. You know, you're putting your best foot forward. You're wearing your best outfit. You've got the Brute 33 or the Old Spice on. That's just the ladies too. And, uh, and you're, you're putting your best foot forward. And, uh, and then three years later, you wake up at this guy snoring and drooling beside you. And you're like, what happened? That's just a big flipping snoring field right there. Where did the treasure go? But you know what? Whoops, somebody said, okay, we, don't, we do weddings, not divorces in this church, okay? But, but, but here's the thing, the treasure's still there, but you're also seeing the field as well. Because every treasure comes with a field, and every field comes with treasure. And if you're not willing to have the field, you will never access the treasure. And just on a side note, girls, beware of guys who want the treasure but have no intention of buying the field. Tell them if you want the treasure, buy the field. If you want all of me to get the best of me, put a ring on it. That was for free. (laughs) Up here, we 
these guys use their gifts, I use the gifts, and hopefully there's a little bit of treasure there. But their families get the field. Their families get the nights that they're out. My wife gets me coming home on a Sunday afternoon and muttering a few words and because I'm in my own head thinking about all the things I could have, would have, should have said and all the emails I might get on Monday. And, 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 and she sees me during the week where I'm disconnected a bit because I'm thinking about what I want to say here. You, you hopefully get a little bit of treasure, but she gets the treasure, hopefully, but she also gets the field because the closer you are to someone, the more of the field you see. And the closer you are to someone, the more of the treasure you see. And we see it throughout scripture. God sees the treasure and he sees the field. Gideon, hiding in a wine press, God shows up and calls him a mighty warrior. God calls the treasure out of the field. Moses, a fugitive, hiding in the wilderness after he murders someone. God calls him a deliverer. David, the shepherd boy, the one who's left out by his family, the stinky shepherd, God sees a king in the kid. God looks at us and he sees the field, but he looks and he sees the treasure and he calls out the treasure within us. And honour is the ability to look beyond the field and to call out the treasure. To look at people and you don't, it's not that you completely ignore their flaws or their failures or their inadequacies and you don't overlook bad behaviour or abuse at all. But what I'm saying is in normal relationships, every single one of us have treasure within us. But we need to get past the surface very often to see it. Sometimes this principle of honour is very hierarchical. It's very much people up here use honour to to get this respect and esteem and everybody else is down here, but that's not what it is. It's so much bigger and broader and more all-encompassing than that. It's about calling out what God has placed within people. Jesus looked at Simon, the reed, the shaky one, the one who would deny him, and he says, you are Peter, you are the rock, even when he was far from being a rock. But when you look at what happened later, he became the treasure that Jesus called out of him. Honour releases the treasure hidden inside people. Paul puts it a slightly different way than Jesus does. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay. You and I are clay jars. We're different sizes, we're different shapes, but we're all just clay, we're all just dust. But inside you is treasure. Put there by God. Every one of you, God has deposited something incredible inside you. But you don't get to access the treasure unless you look beyond the clay. I am so aware of the clay in my life. And very often I get so focused on the clay that I miss the treasure. And sometimes, sadly, I do it with other people as well. All I see is a big clay pot. And I don't look hard enough and get close enough to see the treasure that God has put within him. But when you honour someone, when you choose to look for the treasure, it's amazing how it begins to appear. It's amazing what you begin to see. You see, in the newspaper article and in the parable that Jesus told, the people found what they were looking for. 
It wasn't just that they were casually walking across a field. They were looking for treasure actively. And here's what I have found in life. You will always find what you're looking for in other people. If you are looking for reasons to criticize other people, you will find them. If you're looking for negative things about other people, you will find them. If you're looking for faults in your spouse or your kids or whoever, your colleagues and work, you will find them. Do you know how I know that? Because they're human. And humans are imperfect. Every single person here, if we got to know each other a little bit more, if we were looking for faults and things where we disagree, we will find them. But if we're looking for the gold, we'll also find it. We will also find it. Because you find what you're looking for. And here's the thing about critical and negative people. They're only ever looking at the dirt. They're only ever looking at the thing that makes them different or divides them from people. And God would say to you, no, I want you to look beyond the surface and see the gold inside other people. Our culture isn't a culture of honour. It's a cancel culture. Where if you don't agree with me, I can't be friends with you. That's the way our culture is. It's divided. Our culture says that if you said something five years ago that I find offensive today, I can't be friends with you. In fact, you might get fired or I'll get you deplatformed from social media. That's our culture. That is not the culture of God's kingdom. It is the antithesis. It's the opposite. God's culture is a culture where it says, yes, I know you said and did this 10 years ago, but I believe people can change because I have changed. I am mortified at some of the things I did 5, 10, 15 years ago. Mortified. But I am so thankful for the grace of God that he didn't leave me where I was. And you should be so thankful that you're not all that you want to be, but thank God you're not what you used to be. Because the Spirit of God is at work in your life. This isn't about kissing up to people. It's not about currying favor. That's not what honor is about. It's not about being nice to your boss and work so you get a promotion. It is about seeing beyond whatever is on the surface, even if it's not something that you love, and saying, I will honor you because you're made in the image of God. God has deposited something within you. I will honor you because of your position or your role or your title. You might have a boss and work that you cannot stand and they treat you awful. You can still honor them. You don't have to honor what they say or do, but you can honor their position. And the funny thing is, when you honour people in spite of their shortcomings, it's amazing how the relationship can change. It's amazing how the gold begins to emerge. When we moved to Dublin in 2011, there had just been a new archbishop appointed. His name's Michael Jackson. True story. (laughs) True story. I mean, the jokes, it was a real thriller to meet him. That was bad. I could go all day here, literally. I could literally go all day. (laughs) Billy Jean was not. Um, But uh, everybody said to me, you know what? You'll not get on with him. He doesn't like your type of church. He doesn't like your type of Christian. And uh, he's very liberal. And just just keep keep him at arm's length. And from day one, I chose to honour 
Archbishop Jackson. And can I say to you, by the time we left, we had a really great relationship. A really good relationship. I remember one night he phoned our house on a Friday night and I said to him, Archbishop, you don't sound good, are you all right? And he said, no, I'm fine. And then he, he got off the phone and he phoned me back and he said, Craig, actually, I'm not great. I've, I, he says, I've had this laryngitis and I can't get out. You know, it's a Friday night and I don't know how to get... And I, we happened to have a woman in the church who owned a chain of pharmacies. And I said, leave it with me. And nine o'clock the next morning, there were antibiotics waiting for him at his closest pharmacy. It, it, it was wee things like that. That's how you honour, just by going out of your way to help people. And can I say to you, by the time we left, he was so kind to us. In fact, to come here to this church, because I'd spent a year at, outside the Church of Ireland at the Vineyard, I had to get... a. Bishop Harold at the time gave me four days to get what's known as a Benny Dessa set, which is three letters from clergy in Dublin and a letter from the Archbishop to say I left in good standing. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm up here. In fact, I'm in Coleraine at the time, Port Stewart. And I have to get three letters from clergy and a letter from the Archbishop to say I left in good standing. I got them in two days. Why? Because I'd chosen to show honour. Honour gives you access to people and things that they carry that you will never have if you don't show honour. I've discovered that everything that I need, or nearly everything I need from God, doesn't come from the sky. It comes through other people. And honour, when you honour people, it allows you to access the treasure that God has put within them. Because that treasure that isn't within you isn't just for you, it's for the people around you. And the treasure within me isn't just for me, it's for other people. And so honour gives you access to what God has placed with all other people. And dishonour closes the door. Dishonour closes off access to what God has placed within other people. If I had shown dishonour to the Archbishop, I would have been sunk when I went back a number of years later to ask for that letter. But honour released favour. And when you honour people and honour God, it releases a favour into your life. And there are resources that God wants to give you now and in your future, but they will come through other people. And how you treat people now, you don't do it to get those things, but you never know when that person or who has the things that you will need in the future. Honour is how we extract the treasure. And dishonour, and I'm going to finish in a few moments, dishonour diminishes. If honour accesses, dishonour closes down. Look at a little bit further down in chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel at the life of Jesus. Begin at verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, the parable that we've just heard and a few others, about the soil and the seed, and he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this, isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers? Notice they don't mention his dad because there was always this swirl about Joseph. And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? I just think in those days, Judas would have been the worst name to have. You know? You'd always be like, I wasn't the one. You know, I'd be like being caught Adolf. Um, you know, it wasn't me. Um, aren't all his sisters with us? 
And where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense. We live in a culture of offense. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Do you know what Mark's gospel says commented in the same passage? He could not do miracles there except lay his hands on a few people and heal them. Which to me sounds pretty good still, but when you think about it, Jesus has been out on tour and everywhere he has gone, lepers have been cleansed, people have got off stretchers, deaf ears have opened, blind eyes have opened. It says actually before this that every single person who came to him was healed. And now he comes back to his hometown and he grew up here. He spent 30 years here. So he knows every person who needs healing. I had never thought about this before. If you've grown up in a small community like Jesus did, you know who is crippled. You know who's blind. You know who's deaf. And so I'm sure when Jesus came back to his hometown, he wanted to bring the healing that he had poured out everywhere else into his hometown. He wanted to bless his own community. But what happens is this. They start talking amongst themselves and they go, who does he think he is? We know that fella. That's the carpenter. That's the wee fella used to run around the market here. We know his brothers. We know his mom. Goodness sake. Like, who does he think he is? Like, he's not that special. And they diminish him and they dishonor him. And it says he could not do any miracle, sir. There were people that day who needed healing who went home sick. Why? Because of the dishonor they showed Jesus. Honor unlocks the treasure within people. Dishonor locks it up and stops you getting access to it. And I have found that in my own life. There are very few things that affect me more than dishonor. I have to be honest. Very few. My wife will tell you that. It shuts something down within me. And many of you might feel the same where you feel dishonored and deeply disrespected. You cannot give what you want to give to people. And that's what happens with Jesus here. Their dishonor shut down everything God wanted to give them. And I believe God wants to give you so much directly from him and from other people. But how you access that is with a life of honor. Is with seeing beyond the surface to the treasure within. To looking for the gold. To calling out the gifts within people. You have so much more deposited within you than you realize right now. And you mightn't see it, but somebody else might see it. And as they call it out, you begin to step into all that God created you to be. They say familiarity breeds contempt. I think that's true. But I also believe it breeds indifference. We just get familiar with people. We get familiar with who they are. And we stop treasuring what we used to treasure. 
You know, Charlotte Curran was here a few weeks ago when, when she stepped up after the worship, she got a little emotional. Normally, Charlotte gets emotional at the end of her message. It's just, I love that. She's such a tender heart. But she stepped up here and she just said, something has changed in here. And I think she said, I, I think she said something along the lines of, don't take it for granted. What you have in here is not, and this is not big up in Hope Church. This is big up in the presence of God. <laughs> that, that if you take the presence that we are, and something has shifted in the last 12 months. I'll talk about that at the AGM a little bit more. But something has shifted in this place. There's a freedom and a presence here that we did not have 12 months ago. But if we don't honor that, it will go. If we don't honor that, God goes, you know what? If you don't honor what I'm giving you, I'll bring it to someone who will. And so we honor his presence. We honor what he's doing. And some of us, it's a little uncomfortable. I get that. You've come from more traditional backgrounds. It's it's loud. I get that. But if the presence of God is here, please honor it. I'm not expecting you to do everything the person beside you is doing. But honor the presence of God. Honor the treasure that he has among us. Because it is so beautiful and it is so precious. And honestly, for my first four and a half years here, I, I was frustrated because I had tasted of it in the past and it wasn't here. And now it's here. It's such a joy. I look forward to every Sunday here. Every Sunday. Because I can't wait to be in the presence of God with God's people. The principle is this, and I'm going to finish. Whatever you honor is drawn towards you and it gives you the ability to access all that it is and has. And whatever you dishonor, you push away from you and it denies you access to the treasure within. They dishonored Jesus and so they couldn't get what he wanted to give them. And honor brings spiritual breakthrough into our lives. And I have more notes here, but I'm going to stop. But imagine how honour would change things. We honour God. If you really honour God, you obey him, you worship him, you give him off the best you have. You honour those over you in leadership. We mightn't always agree with our politicians, we mightn't like our politicians, but we honour them. Not because we agree with their views, but because God has given them authority in this land, we honour their position. The Bible says we honour those over us in the church. That's an awkward one to preach. But if I didn't preach it, I would be doing you a disservice. It actually says in um, 2 Timothy, I think it is, First Timothy 5.17 The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. I actually might get that printed up there <laughs> somewhere. Just. But having heard of churches and been around churches where there has been dishonour of leadership, everything starts to fall apart. Some of you know that better than I do. I was talking to somebody recently who had had a conversation with a girl, a lovely girl, who was heavily involved in our church, leading kids' ministry, 
on the management team or the vestry. And one night she happened to be getting into her car and she overheard people talking to the minister. They were around the corner. They didn't know she was there. And she overheard how they spoke to their minister. And she said it. She she couldn't be part of that management team anymore. It shut something down within her. Uh, Guys, I'm not saying don't ever challenge me or don't confront me. That's not at all what I'm saying. Some of you have done that, but do it honourably. And I promise I will try my best to do it honourably with you. It's amazing in every conversation where there's difficult conversations, and we all love difficult conversations, don't we? It's amazing how when you approach them with honour, how it changes them, as opposed to attack and antagonism. When you approach people with honour, it changes the dynamic of the whole conversation. So we honour up. We honour God. We honour those over us. We honour down. We honor, the Bible actually says, those who treat the poor well receive honour from God. Those who have nothing to give you in return, how you treat them says more about you than anything else. The person in the coffee shop, the waiter, the the person on the street, how you treat the least of these, Jesus says, is how you treat me. And God notices how you treat the least of these. And finally, we honour all around. We honour each other. In your home, Let your home be a home of honour. Spouses, husbands, wives, if you treated your spouse when you first met them like you do now, would they ever have stayed with you? When you make your vows in marriage, it's love, honour and cherish till death do you part. Love, honour and and cherish. You made a vow that you would honour your wife or your husband. The way I hear, not here, but the way I hear people talking about their spouse sometimes is disgusting. They are God's gift to you. Honour them. Or somebody else will. We don't have a perfect marriage. We don't have a perfect family. We have our moments. But what we do try to have is a house where honour is a core value. We try to speak to each other with respect. We show gratitude, but I don't always get it right. Becky gets it right much more than I do. You know, there's times when I not only have to apologize to my wife, I have to apologize to my 10-year-old. Like, honestly, wasn't it about three weeks ago? One day he was just going on, and he was like, like he was, he was going on a bit. And I just went, oh, for goodness sake, shut up. And about 15 minutes later, I came back into the room and I just said, Elijah, I'm so sorry for telling you to shut up. That's not how we speak to each other in this house. And he went, that's okay, Dad. But what I wanted, you know what? The thing people talk, we don't have a perfect son by any stretch. But you know what people say? He's so well-mannered. He gets that from his wife. Or from his, not his wife. His mother, my wife. His mother. We're trying to find him a wife at the minute and we think we're there. We're, we're a little bit doing the arranged marriage thing at the minute, I've got to be honest. Because we like, we like the girl's parents and so we think about work. But, uh, but when you have a home where there's honour, it changes the atmosphere of the home. And people feel it. Have you ever walked into a room and you feel the atmosphere? 
You meet someone and they may be saying one thing, but you get a different vibe off them. You carry an atmosphere. If you carry the atmosphere of honour with you, it will begin to unlock doors everywhere you go. It will begin to call out the treasure within the people around you. And can I say to some of you, you have no idea what God has placed within you. But there's treasure there. There's treasure there. There's a book that I read a number of years ago called Everyone Loves You When You're Dead. (laughs) It's a good title, isn't it? And it's so true. Because having done maybe 200 funerals in the last 17 years, I meet with the families before the funeral. I say, tell me about the deceased. And you would think they were Jesus, Mother Teresa, you know, like, no, like, oh, they were just they could never do harm, never had a bad word to say about anybody. They would give you the, the shirt off their back. Five weeks earlier, they were calling them everything. <laughs> but everybody loves you when you're dead. Let's not wait before we honour people. I want Hope Church to be a place of honour, not perfection, not overlooking faults or not overlooking wrongdoing. That's not what we're about. Honour actually allows you to have the hard conversations, and some of you will know that because we've had them, and love each other more afterwards. Because there's a deeper level of connection and you've got beyond the field to the treasure. And ultimately, the Bible says this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still a mucky, dirty field, the Son of God came to earth and he looked at you in your muck and your filth and your dirt and he said, you're worth dying for. And he stretched his arms wide on the cross. And God gave his greatest treasure for a mucky field because he could see the treasure that he had placed inside you.